Welcome to Safety Net, a patient safety podcast with news, trends, and ideas from CRICO, the insurance program for all of the Harvard Medical Institutions and their affiliates, bringing a data-driven approach to reducing medical error through clinical analysis of malpractice claims. Excellent palliative care is inherently challenging. Providers need to diagnose the need for pain management and comfort services well before and beyond end-of-life treatment. They must arrange the time and space for careful goals-of-care conversations with patients and families. Underutilization of pain and comfort care by providers and patients alike has even led to calls for changing the intimidating-sounding term palliative to supportive care instead. A relatively young subspecialty, hospice and palliative medicine, was officially recognized by the American Board of Medical Specialties in 2008. The COVID-19 pandemic has only added to the complications. Overcapacity hospitals and a shortage of palliative specialists that predated the crisis has led to some improvisation and innovation. A hospital in Boston embedded a palliative care specialist in the emergency department, working along intensivists. A New York safety net hospital put out a call for remote volunteers via social media and recruited hundreds of specialists for a pilot telehealth program for palliative care for its patients. Data from thousands of malpractice claims in the CRICO National Comparative Benchmarking System show that communication is a contributing factor in more than a third of all medical professional liability cases, and roughly half of those involve patient-provider communication. Overall data indicate, however, that liability cases with central allegations involving palliative care are relatively unusual. Among several reasons for that may be the heart of the specialty itself, which is listening to patient concerns and preferences, getting to know the patient and family personally, and establishing a close rapport are skills that can be transferred to other specialties. We had a chance to discuss palliative care in the COVID era with an expert practitioner from the Metro DC area to hear about his personal experience and perhaps pick up some insights that might help improve communication between any specialist and their patients. Joining us now is Dr. Seth Cravat. Dr. Cravat is the Senior Medical Director and Assistant Vice President at MedStar Health National Center for Human Factors in Healthcare. He is also a palliative care physician at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital and Assistant Professor of Clinical Medicine at Georgetown. Dr. Cravat, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tom. Um, Why are you attracted to palliative care in the first place? Um, I'll start by saying I've been attracted to this field for years, mostly because I enjoy helping people uh, who are in tough spots in, 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 in their healthcare journey. So a lot of what we're taught in medical school is to find problems and fix them. And people get into a little bit of a jam when problems may no longer be fixable. Um, and this happens when people have chronic illnesses and uh, they have symptoms that aren't controllable. Um, it happens towards the end of life when treatments start to fail or there are no more treatments. And it's a very important, um, it can be a very difficult, and sometimes it can be an exceptionally special time in people's lives. And it, it feels to me like a privilege to be able to step in and help people during these tough times. And this is the kind of work that isn't easy for clinicians who are typically trying to fix things, not accept things as they are. 
Exactly. Yes. It's, 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 um, I watch other clinicians who are incredible at what they do struggle when they realize that there's, there are no more treatments to fix patients' problems. Um, again, it's what we're taught to do in medical school. If a potassium is too low, we learn how to treat it appropriately with the right amount of potassium. If a blood pressure is too high, we real figure out how to treat that with the right medication. If an appendix is inflamed, a surgeon learns how to take it out. But when a patient is in pain um, or struggling with a life decision because we can't fix those problems, um, it becomes almost an internal struggle for a lot of clinicians to work with those patients. Um, and there are a select group of us who look at that those moments as opportunities to alleviate suffering um, and to help patients and families in a different way. What are the challenges specifically to providing palliative care during this pandemic? The pandemic was challenging, I think. And people have seen it on the news. It's challenging for all healthcare workers. It's been an incredibly devastating um, moment in time for healthcare providers um, at all levels. For palliative care doctors, it's there's been this large increase in a need for our services um, because people would come into the hospital, um, they'd get sick quickly. We didn't know exactly how their the trajectory of their illness. And um, it was scary. It was very scary. And um, people would get sick so quickly and decisions had to be made about what the next steps were in, uh, in, in a moment. So the, the, we started get calling, getting called frequently on our palliative care teams because there were chronically ill or older people who are now in the hospital and terribly short of breath who were on the verge of being intubated, uh, placed on a breathing machine. And we were pretty sure at the time that um, once they got put on these breathing machines that they would not get better. Um, and there was a need to have quick, conversations with patients and families about whether or not they wanted us to do this. And these are conversations that normally evolve over um, hours, days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months. And we were in a new position where we needed to have these conversations sometimes in, in an hour or less. Um, and it was, um, it was really uh, hard for us as clinicians to do this. It was terribly painful for families. Um, it was painful and complicated for patients if they were even able to have these conversations. And I think it took a big toll on palliative care physicians who were seeing a lot of people um, struggle with emotional and spiritual and physical pain. And we did our best to help them through um, and hold their hands either virtually or in person. Um, but a lot of time, we, it was very hard for us to alleviate that pain. Well, you have the added complication and challenge of uh, limitations on, on visiting and, and being in the same room, uh, p patients and families and their providers. Was, was telehealth a way out of that or a way to, to, to address that? How, how does telehealth... Uh, play into this? 
telehealth uh, was a great gift in many ways um, because of this huge increased need for palliative care across the MedStar health system. Um, we didn't have enough resources to provide uh, what we need to provide to all the patients and families. Um, one, because there was an increased volume of need for palliative care, um, but two, also because uh, we had providers who were at high risk for contracting the virus um, and getting terribly sick from it and were maybe not able to come in and see people in person. And what telehealth did was enable us to spread our resources across the whole system um, and enable people to be uh, in safe spaces, either at home or separated physically from patients to keep them safe. And that was incredible. So it allowed us to provide more care, sometimes in a safer space. Now, many of us continued to go to the hospital and see patients, um, but it, it prevented us from having pulled, pulled people out of the workforce to keep them safe. The the challenges with palliative care via telehealth were mostly not being able to be physically present with patients um, in these really important times of life. And communication is often done through, you know, the words we use. Um, it's people pick up on the tone we use. And then there are a lot of verbal cues that people pick up on when we're with them. Um, and gaining trust, being able to listen uh, in person with a patient, there there really still is no substitute for that. It's the nonverbal cues that are really, really important too. Um, and sometimes just physical presence. So we do spend time in palliative care holding people's hands. Uh, and it's just not possible to do that via telehealth. And again, I go back to the, uh, the other benefits are we were able to conduct family meetings with multiple family members quickly. Um, they were able to see their loved ones and to see us, which I think made a difference to them. Um, the logistics of getting people into the hospital uh, were removed by being able to send out uh, meeting requests for video meetings. So there were significant benefits and enabled us to continue providing care where we needed to. It enabled us to continue providing care um, on a larger scale um, and some drawbacks about just the lack of physical presence. Seth, could you share some of your personal experience providing this kind of care via telehealth during the pandemic? Sure. Um, I think there are, there's, there's the caring for patients in person, and I will say that that was scary initially when we had very little information. I remember going into the hospital in March um, and being terribly afraid I was going to contract COVID and bring it home to my family, bring it out to the community, um, and to have to be with patients when their families couldn't be. And then um, providing care via telehealth uh, was, in some ways, a, it was a sad but a, a experience for which I was grateful. I was grateful that we had the tools. So I remember one 55-year-old gentleman who became very, very sick quickly. And um, he was intubated in, on a breathing machine in our ICU. And his organs were failing, his kidneys were failing, his liver was failing. 
um, his lungs and his heart were failing. And we knew he was going to pass away. And I was able to see him on a Friday in person and was able to be present with him and have a, a video call with his family and have the family see him via the video call. Um, and the next day on a Saturday, uh, his course took a turn for, for the worse, if that's even possible. And it was clear that our medical interventions and our options were running out. And because we had telehealth and a telehealth platform, um, the primary team in the hospital, the ICU team, was able to contact me. And um, I was able to arrange quickly a a video call, a telehealth call with multiple members of the family and just spend time with them. And they were able to see me. They were able to um, uh, see how much I, I cared about them. I was able to see them and see who was struggling. I was able to call out the people who I think maybe were struggling more and needed some attention, um, which I wouldn't have been able to do on a phone call. Um, and I'm hoping in the end that I was able to give them some comfort as they made their decision to transition him uh, to comfort care and to um, uh, stop the breathing machine and other medical interventions. That's uh, an amazing service uh, that you were able to, to give to them. I hope so. I mean, I always hope so. I often come home from working with people like that and I, without sharing names or patient information, I talk to my children and my wife about how grateful I am that I get to be part of people's lives in this very vulnerable time and that they let me in. Um, I really feel like it's a privilege. Now, we don't typically think of palliative care as being a uh associated with malpractice cases or, you know, end-of-life care uh, and claims of negligence. Um, do you see liability risk in this kind of thing? I think there are very few, and it makes sense um, after what I've read over the years and after speaking with multiple patient and family advocates who've actually had um, their loved ones harmed in the healthcare system. They often say that the reason why they sue or there's risk is because they can't get information and because people don't listen to them. Um, and palliative care is a specialty which is focused on listening to patients. So I say it's just really, for me, it's about being curious. I want to understand what's important to the family and the patient. I don't have an agenda when I walk in the room except for me to learn as much as I can about them and then figure out how do I get them the information and that they want and need and to hopefully help them achieve their goals. Um, if, if that's our main focus in palliative care and if we know that patients often sue because they don't get information or because they're treated poorly or because people don't listen to them, it makes sense why there's a very low risk of malpractice suits in the palliative care field. It almost sounds like palliative care or the palliative, the field of palliative medicine has something to teach uh, other specialties, every specialty in that regard. I'd like, I'd like to think so. <laughs> Very nice that you say that. 
um, I mean, I, I, I was a hospitalist and internist before I practiced palliative care. And um, as I implemented some of the tools of palliative care into my hospitalist practice, and it really was about listening and understanding rather than speaking and telling people what I thought, um, which seems like it would be inherent in how we all practice medicine, but it, it's not. And it wasn't natural to me initially based upon my medical training. Um, but if other people could incorporate some of these tools into their practice, not only would they um, find it easier to practice because uh, communication with patients and families get, I think it actually gets better, um, but it's actually more fulfilling. So I would love more people to put in, incorporate this into their practice. It, it, it doesn't necessarily take a lot more time. And I think it uh, makes it more fulfilling to practice uh, medicine. I love to hear about patient and family stories because they're fascinating because everybody's had a full life, even at, you know, six years or 10 years, unfortunately, if someone dies at a young age, but think about a 50, 60, 70, 80 year old, 50, those many years of experiences. Um, and if people could just tune into that a little bit with a little bit of emotional intelligence and curiosity, I think they'd find their work so much more satisfying and gratifying. Um, and I think patients and families would feel so much better and we'd be doing what, what we're supposed to be doing as clinician, which is healing. Well, thank you, Dr. Seth Kravat. Dr. Kravat is a senior medical director and assistant vice president for MedStar Health National Center for Human Factors in Healthcare. He's a palliative care physician at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital and assistant professor of clinical medicine at Georgetown University Medical Center. I'm Tom Agello. Thank you for listening to SafetyNet, a podcast of news, trends, and ideas from Crico in the Harvard Medical System. Find all of our podcasts at www.rmf.harvard.edu slash podcasts and subscribe. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, and then rate and review the show to help others find it too.